0: Coaches, Cognition, Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed Coaching for the Coach.
1: Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm here with
0: Violet Christensen. Violet, what's going on in your world? Oh, man, I feel like the world keeps spinning faster and faster that I can't quite keep track of these months that are flying by. It's, um, It's been a fun start of the year. I have had the opportunity to work, to work with some first-year teachers, and it's, it's just fun to see as they have smaller breakthroughs or as they're getting more efficacious throughout the start of the year and really getting their feet about them. And so that has been really, really fun on the... Per- professional end of things right now. Um, but as far as on the personal side of things, which I tend to try to share, um, I think over the course of our four years since we had our our fourth birthday, um, I can't believe that those years have flown by, Courtney. How mm-hmm. are we in year four?
1: <laughs> they say the older you are, the quicker time goes, and I finally understand that now, I think.
0: It's catching up with me, and I think small children might make it turn even faster. I'm not quite sure. Um, something that I've always struggled in my career is just being able to find that balance of work and home and trying to implement the power of the pause. We've had this conversation so many times. Courtney's actually gotten me trinkets to remind me of that pause, which I'm appreciative of, but I'm finally taking at least a moment um, with my mother and my sister-in-law to go take a true pause. And we're going to go take a moment away for a girl's trip. So It's just um, I'm very grateful at this time going into November, thinking about what I'm grateful for, that I have the support in my life in order to be able to do that, that my husband can take care of my girls and the rest of my my village that helps take care of things can can step in and that we can go um, really take a moment and pause in the sunshine for a second. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to next week. You need to fill your own bucket, right, before you can fill everyone else's. Exactly. And that mid-year bucket fill can be pretty pivotal. I've found little mental health breaks scheduled throughout the year can really help um, you just keep that mental clarity and keep those vibes really high. So that's something that I've been trudging for and working towards and just excited for. Nice. What's going on in your world, Courtney? How is November starting off for you? Um, it's just great, busy working
1: with a lot of teachers. Um, as some cycles are wrapping up, it's nice to sit down and reflect with educators and see how much progress, you know, things have been a little tough in the classrooms for some of my educators. Um, and now at the end of a cycle, being able to sit there and say like, well, think back to the beginning when we started six weeks ago to today, what things do you notice have changed. And they're like, oh yeah, that's working better. This student's doing that. So there's a lot of celebrations and it's just a great process to be a part of. I'm really lucky.
0: Well, and what a powerful pause as well to just stop to celebrate intentionally. And what a beautiful thing that you get to do for your coaches. Definitely.
1: Today, we have Matt Renwick with us. He's an elementary principal in Mineral Point, Wisconsin. Previously, he served as an assistant principal, athletic director, coach, and classroom teacher in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Matt was recognized as a friend of literacy by the Wisconsin State Reading Association in 2020 and received the Cole Leadership Award in 2021. His books include Five Myths About Classroom Technology, How Do We Integrate Digital Tools to Truly Enhance Learning, ASCD 2016, Digital Portfolios in the Classroom, Showcasing and Assessing Student Work, and Learning Like a Coach, Five Strategies
0: for Supporting Teachers and Learning. You can find Matt on Twitter at ReadByExample. We are so excited to have you here today, Matt. Thank you for joining us on C3. Thank
2: you. It's it's nice to be here with you too.
0: Well, we are excited to share you with our listeners, and we have been really amped to get you out there. And let's just start with your background in education and telling us a little bit about where you are and where you've come from in education.
2: My background in education was... From the beginning, I've always uh, enjoyed working with kids and athletic coaching. So I was pretty heavily involved in sports uh, growing up, and um, found my way in education. I thought I would teach like middle school math and, and coach different sports, and I really found uh, my interest becoming more into literacy, specifically on um, engagement around readers and writers. I taught fifth and sixth graders for uh, seven years. And uh, that moved into then a principalship uh, as an assistant and then into a head principal. So now I'm now in my 16th year as an administrator. And I've always just strived to create, you know, equitable conditions for all kids to to succeed. And I feel like I can do that best through literacy and leadership. And that's where um, this book was born out of, was to kind of trace back like the last 10 years, what have I learned about leading? schools, leading literacy. And here's what I know right now.
1: I love that you have a background in leadership. Um, that's something we have a lot of principals that listen to the podcast and being able to offer that marriage of leadership coaching and literacy, I think is a really unique skill set.
2: And it's never dull. I was just at a leadership team meeting with our teacher leaders and um, you know they share so much with me that I just I can't imagine because I'm not in the classroom that they can share their insights with me. And, and then in turn, I'm coming back to our professional learning plan and we're making adjustments and we're responding to their needs while still trying to keep expectations high. It's such a you know, people kind of use like a seesaw comparison, like one or the other. And I don't I almost feel like it's like a eight sided type of playground equipment that we're just, you know, there's so many components to it, which it makes our work complex, but it's, it's, you know, it's never, like I said in the beginning, it's never dull and um, always something interesting to work on.
1: So something I'm extremely passionate about is educational improvement. Can you tell us about your approach to educational improvement?
2: I can tell you where I came from and where I'm at now. Uh, When I came into improvement, I was thinking about the principalship around my third or fourth year as a classroom teacher. And I wanted to take some of the ideas I was learning from like Christovanni and Stephanie Harvey and um, some other pretty prolific thinkers on literacy instruction. And, they, and I was finding great results in the classroom and I wanted to uh, spread that around. So I got my administrative degree and coming into school leadership, I thought that I could just present these ideas to teachers and they would adopt them. And, and schools would improve uh, So a very linear, very kind of complicated, but, you know, straightforward kind of an approach. And what I've learned is um, that's not going to necessarily work, not because the ideas aren't great, they are, but because everyone's coming at it from a slightly different perspective on, on what is, for example, best practice and the, in, in, like in today's conversations, the science of reading. You know, there's these dichotomies that are created of what's best and what's not, what's science, what's not, and and it's way more comp- way more complex than that. And so, what I, as I've learned over the last 15 years or so is um, I've got to engage with every teacher at their at where they're at, versus saying here's what we're all going to do. We certainly can have expectations, but to say everyone needs to be there right away, it just isn't uh, realistic. So that's where I start, and that's why I like instructional walks because I can get into classrooms. Ten minutes a day, or ten minutes, you know, every two weeks or so, maybe fifteen if um, I have the time, and um, yeah, and then just talk to them, like you know, what's going on for you? Here's what I noticed. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And so, really, that's been my biggest change: is going from me leading, from our, a traditional sense, to more me leading as a learner, um, a much more reciprocal and mutually beneficial relationship with with faculty. Um, and, and a lot of times the learning primarily happens with me, just like today's leadership team meeting. I, I learned quite a bit and um, we're a better school for it. So
0: It's amazing how you're really leaning into the rapport and the relationship that you have with your educators in order to help facilitate and foster that growth over time. And I love hearing I love hearing all the nuances of coaching that are coming right out of your verbiage and how you relate with your educators and how you're meeting them with their needs and being able to help stretch from the place in which they stand at that moment, which is just so powerful. Um, We, as Courtney said, we have a lot of principals who listen and want to find more ways to be able to use those coaching skills in their admin role. And so can you tell us a little bit more about leading like a coach within schools and also share your coach acronym with us so that our listeners mm-hmm. can take that with them as a nugget today.
2: So the coaching skills, how they can incorporate that within their practice. What I have found, and I've been trained in instructional coaching, both in person and online. So I do have some training involved. Um, but I want to be clear. I am not an instructional coach. I've never been an instructional coach. Um, I we have an instructional coach, and um, she, she's very good at what she does. And so, I have a lot of respect for that position. I think every school should have one. Just to be clear on that. Um, but in what I have done, and what you know, what I did in the book over the last ten years is start to take some of the skills and strategies that effective instructional coaches do, and then blend them in within, within my position as a supervisor. You'll sometimes hear, um, right now I'm a principal, but you know, um, later on I'll be a coach. And I don't always struggle with that. I, I, I see the position more as an integrated, more mindful approach. So one that I use a lot is, or I try to use a lot, I should use a lot, is just paying attention to myself and others. So I use the collaborative norms from cognitive cognitive coaching, which I have some background in, and just being mindful of how I'm feeling. Um, If I'm talking with a teacher and I can sense that maybe they're feeling uncomfortable, they aren't making eye contact, for example, they are um, looking frustrated or maybe looking just not sure where to go. You know, I I try to read that and um, just maybe... I'm just noticing this is, you know, I want to make sure everything's okay. Or we want to talk another time. So, so that's a coaching skill anyone can use. I think any person should use these skills. Don't just rest within my principalship. I I use them with my family, um, with friends. I'm really, a lot of it's just active listening. So pausing, letting people continue to talk and then not trying to get my point across um, as much as trying to understand where they're coming from again. And then using that information to to help them see it more clearly. Uh, A favorite skill, another favorite one is paraphrasing. Um, You know, just put it into their words what they just said to me so they can kind of hear it back for themselves. So um, it was funny because someone was sitting in here, my wife actually, she's a special ed teacher in our school, and she was sitting in my office and she was ready to go home and I was talking with someone and I was kind of coaching them, paraphrasing, pausing, not really giving advice. And then they walked away, you know, knowing what they wanted to do. And my wife says, uh, after I hung up the phone, she's like, um, you don't really tell people what to do at all. And I said, I know. And I said, I, are you wondering, like, do I do anything at all today? <laughs> and I, I think that just, to the point is, I've really shifted from feeling like I have to give advice and, and be that person that knows everything which i think principals sometimes feel they need to be and do which i think prevents them from getting into classrooms because they're afraid they're not going to have the answer and i think that's what coaching can give any leader is to just take a step back and just be the listener first and um allow people to solve their own problems uh, whenever possible so the coach framework um, so it stands for the c is creating confidence through trust so just creating the conditions where people can be confident to just speak because they trust each other. So having an open blog, having a uh, transparent culture is huge. And if you don't have that, all the other letters don't matter if we can't communicate. So that's the C. The O is organizing around a priority. So just trying to focus based on assessment data, You know, diverse sets of that. To really hone in on what's what's the goal that we need to work on right now. So in our school, we're really focused on knowledge building and some skill development. We've acquired a new curriculum. Um, I've come around on that. I've, I've been more of a create your own curriculum, but faculty really wanted to pursue, you know, something more consistent as a resource. So uh, I supported that and we're, we're working towards that right now. So our priority is reading instruction. Um, the A is affirming promising practices, so that's noticing and naming the strengths that are already present. And I can walk to any classroom, and I will find something positive um, to note and name. And then I'll tell them. I will sometimes announce it during class. I'll say the whole to the whole class, "Yeah, I noticed you're using morning meeting time to uh, work on your reading and writing." And they kind of look at me, and I'll say, "Well, look what your teacher's doing. She's, you know, reading the message with you, and you're writing." a response to the message. And then she's talking to you about how you use punctuation to um, for intonation and speaking it. So that's all connected. And that's great. Um, You know, so noticing those things first, the C in coach is communicating feedback. I put that last on purpose or toward the end because I've from myself and other principals and other leaders, we tend to just come in and just give feedback, you know, like it's a gift. And we haven't done all the work ahead of time to do that in order for teachers to hear it and to think about it and to consider it and to maybe apply it. So I put it near the end for that reason. I also call it communicate feedback, not just to make the coach framework, although that's great, but, um, it's, it's a two way street, right? It's not me saying to the teacher, you know, in a first grade classroom, for example, which I've never taught how they might improve. Right. You can see kind of the problem with that. So rather it's, hey, I noticed this. You know, what are your thoughts on it? And that's often is where my feedback is. And then they think about it and they respond. And then we have a conversation. Uh, they'll give me context and insights that, you know, I'm just not in there enough to really know. Uh, the last H is help teachers become leaders and learners. So that's really more about just supporting their capacity for self-directedness and I mean, leaders of their own learning. We do some action research projects. We call them equity projects, and we'll find some money, and they'll engage into some mini projects to, you know, disrupt inequities such as removing obstacles or increasing supports and meeting kids where they're at. So that's coach.
1: You you know started out with that you're not a coach, but you've lifted the essentials from cognitive coaching and really put a leadership lens. And your teachers must feel so lucky um, that you're helping them build their capacity and their collective efficacy um, through using that framework. They really have an equal seat at the table with you.
2: And that's just it. It's, it's a, it's a partnership. It's, we're all at the table together. So, you know, I certainly feel lucky with them being open and honest about what's working and what's not. And um, I feel like my growth is accelerated because of, because of that. So again, coming back to that first letter of confidence and trust, I just, you know, I probably spend ninety percent of the day <laughs> building trust, and then everything else. If I get to that second C part, the communicating feedback, it's almost—it's it, just—it's almost easy because we have that trust and communication. We're clear on what we're working on. We've—you know—I've noticed all the things they've done well. So, um, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it takes a lot longer to get there, but but the benefits are worth it.
1: So as you share your knowledge with other administrators, what do you have to be mindful of when coaching administrators?
2: I think of a couple of things. I think the first thing is to just recognize either within me or even verbally, publicly saying it, that um, their job is a, like teaching is a lonely job. It's a stressful job. They often don't hear the positive things they're doing. So I I think about that and I try to be empathetic towards their situation. I think the second thing just think about is I can be more of a coach with them. I'm not their supervisor and it can be a real collaborative experience. So I actually work with a a group of rural school leaders here in Southwest Wisconsin. So I, I help run a network. So once a month we meet either Zoom or in a school, a site visit and we will talk with each other. And and that's, I mean, the majority of our time we spend together is just facilitating dialogue. I think that's what both leaders and teachers need is just to talk and listen and share ideas and yeah, just feel feel kind of a belonging. I mean, you know, they're not alone on this and kind of make things normal. We just we only know our own school. So people think, oh, this is weird, you know, this problem or that issue. And And you're like, no, that's not weird at all. It happened last week, you know, and um, we're just, yeah, I think just being empathetic to the situation and then giving them some perspective, I think are two things that are helpful for administrators, colleagues.
0: You have already touched a little bit on this, Matt, and I just, I love hearing about the symbiotic relationship that you kind of build Mm -hmm. with your teachers, that you're able to ebb and flow between the admin role and your coaching elements. And it sounds like you're able to do even more of that with your administrator colleagues. But I want to hear a little bit more if we can drill in about your instructional walks. You, you kind of spoke about how these kind of help build that rapport and relationship. You're able to see in the classroom what's mm-hmm. happening. You're able to build that positivity through your noticing and naming as a starting point. So can you tell us a little bit more about the benefits of instructional walks and why you love them so much?
2: So I will just tell you right now, um, I'm actually, I'm not pausing in walks right now. We're, we're building in a new curriculum resource. And so I was just talking with teachers and I'm still doing walks, uh, but they're looking very different right now. It's just been me taking a picture of something that's happening and I'm just writing a brief email with it of what happened, like that morning meeting. I took a picture of the teacher teaching morning meeting and then I'm just briefly putting in an email just to follow up. So that's my walk right now. Mm-hmm. It's not real a lot of any, really any critique, unless there's something glaring, then I would you know certainly say something at a later time. But uh, the, yeah, the walks are my opportunity to build context for me first, to understand the classroom, the net dynamic. Every year we get new kids, right? And I taught for seven years, and every, each year was very distinct from one to the other. I'm sure you see that too. So I really want to build context for me. Um, want to understand the kind of the dynamic between teacher and the kids and the curriculum and the environment. And then once I've built that knowledge up, i am much more inclined to feel like I'm accurate and confident when I do have to communicate feedback to them. So I'm just holding up your listeners can't see it, but all it is is just a pad folio and inside all it is is a pen and just sheets of paper. I mean, that's it. And I will just write down what I'm noticing and you know, the environment, what kids are saying and doing, what the teacher's saying and doing just kind of as a, just a narrative. And then I might pick something out of that. Let's say I was paying attention to what kids were saying during a literature group. And I'll, I'll read the dialogue later to the teacher. And I say, I'll notice the kids said this. What are your thoughts on that? And then they'll give me their perceptions of it. And then I might, if I'm feeling comfortable, I might say, okay, do you mind if I share something, too, that I also noticed about this? And this is what I was thinking. And then I'll share that. And I think I can come from a more authentic context um, just to say, here's what I was thinking, but please correct me. Um, So it's just about building understanding between the teacher and me. But there's so many other benefits, too, of me taking the notes out, just leaving the note with them, and it's like an artifact of, of what they do uh, every day. They don't teachers often don't appreciate what they're doing because they've done it for years and when I point it out and say, "Hey, I noticed how you have this bulletin board and you're inviting the kids to post their own writing and and write a reflection with it, it's like, oh yeah, I've been doing it for years. It's like not everyone's doing that that's not common, and do you mind if I put that in my newsletter as a picture and and let everyone else know about it? Um, oh, sure, you know. And it just really surfaces some of the practices that they've taken for granted. Again, it's a lonely position in administration and teaching. So giving them that feedback from a more affirming stance. Um, but then that's kind of my entry point, my segue into truly communicating some feedback. And it's usually like, yeah, hey, I noticed in this other classroom they were doing what you were doing, but they did something different. And do you mind if I share? Uh, I'm asking permission. But this is probably after six walks, right? I've built the trust. They're familiar with me. They know I'm not there to, as a gotcha, to, to, you know, uh, write a a poor report, uh, evaluation. And now I'm much more in a credibility position where I can speak, you know, um, something that they're going to respect and and truly consider. So, Um, but yeah, I mean, I start with. You know, these little post-it notes with my name on them, you know, just one little thing I notice and I go to maybe these, you know, just some little stationery. Like I said, pictures, it can be digital, and then it eventually gets to something as, you know, a full sheet of paper. But it's really a data collection tool for me too. And then I'll scan all of these documents into uh, principals. Can you use Google Classroom? I'm sorry, Google Drive. They can. Each teacher can have a folder. I use Evernote. In each teacher has a folder of artifacts, and I'm really kind of building a case for them of how they're effective. Um, and they can come back to that and put them in their portfolios and their evaluation tools. And yeah, just really trying to just show them all the wins that they're getting with their kids, but um, also documenting that you know I'm in their corner. Um, and then if I have you know more critical feedback to come back, I can say, listen, I know you do all these things well. Here's something I think we need to work on. Um, It just, yeah, it's how I would want to be supervised and to be first recognized and I'm much more open to feedback after that.
1: You've really humanized the process. Um, I've seen it where teachers are responsible for collecting the artifacts to show that they're proficient teachers, and you've really taken that out of the equation and owned you know what, I'm the administrator, I'm going to notice these things, and I'm going to collect them for you. Because as you said, teachers don't often see the wonderful things that are happening right in front of them in the classroom, because Mm -hmm. it happens multiple times a day, every day.
0: And every teacher needs to be celebrated more often. We do it for our students constantly, but then we're always on to the next thing. So thank you for bringing that back to the forefront, Mm -hmm. Matt, and being a leader in that, in an administrator of starting with the positive first and building each block of coach one step at a time in order to get to that reflective feedback.
2: And if I could add something to that too, the teachers do have some artifact collection that they do for themselves. Um, And that's eventually where we want to get is where they're collecting their own data. And they've built the confidence to the point where they're able to have different sets of data, conferring notes and, and, and traditional assessments and, and students, You know, portfolios, for example, and really becoming students of their own practice. Um, So that's another thing I try to do with the walks is to show them, you know, how to create your own, you know, create your own college and in some ways create your own learning journey. Is, you know, here's how you, here's what data can look like and here's how you can use it to inform your practice. So for example, our class, school librarian, worked with the students last year to audit the class, the school library. Uh, around the um, cultural relevance, around um, identity. And the kids really engaged in a lot of that work Were surveying their peers. And they took that information and they purchased new books for the school library. And um, I was really more in the backseat. I was not even collecting the data at that point. So there is a, just wanted to make that point, I guess, was just there is a transfer and responsibility eventually, but it's for, at least for the librarian, it um, doesn't feel like work. It feels like, you know, Feeling like a true professional.
1: Yeah, you're really using a gradual release model where they've built the mm-hmm. efficacy to be able to do these things on their own. But you first modeled mm-hmm. it and scaffolded it for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, efficacy gets thrown a lot. But what's the journey? What's the pathway to get there? And I, I feel like I hope that my book gives leaders that pathway. At least it's not a script, but um, kind of some waypoints uh, each letter to to mm-hmm. think about and. Um, use.
1: What advice would you give to school leaders about building collective commitments?
2: First, again, engage in instructional walks. If you're a new administrator, you're new to the building, or you're starting anew, just get into classrooms and just start to document. Just after each classroom visit, maybe three a day, document just in five or six words what you noticed, what resonated with you. Once you get through every classroom, Take some time to reflect on what you've noticed. Maybe work with your coach to to examine this and just find some trends and patterns, both positive and negative. And then secondly, let your faculty know what you're noticing. Here are the strengths. I have a list of six or so. And then here's a few things that I've noticed that we might want to work on. And then from there, we can design our professional learning around those areas for growth. Um, I've been in a couple schools, and I think in every school there are a few teachers who may be resistant to change um, for a variety of reasons. And um, that's where collective commitments can come in. So for example, if your beliefs as a faculty is students should be a part of co-constructing the classroom library, and we're noticing that some classrooms aren't doing that, then we can really hone in on some specific statements. Um, You can pull from like NCTE or ILA kind of position papers to support it and this have four five six different statements like we will include students in organizing at least part of the classroom library based on their interest and needs and access and equity And then we'll do it to kind of a consensus vote you know on a scale of one to five how willing can you commit to this um, as long as you're a three or above everyone commits to it and now the leader has the moral authority to say, these are our commitments. How can I help you? You know, implement these in your classroom. You know, it's not just me coming in as the lone ranger and saying, "You know, why aren't you doing this?" This is something I expect. This is something we expect, and we've all agreed upon. Um, but we're coming at it from more of a cultural standpoint and really using kind of the power of of numbers and you know a bit of social accountability too. If we're being honest, and that's that could be okay sometimes. But we can't wait until everyone's ready to get on board with these commitments, you know, because the kids you know, deserve a great education now. And it's something we're constantly working on. We've got this new curriculum. So now classroom libraries are not an afterthought. I mean, teachers are still using them, but maybe not to the degree that we were before. And so that's the other thing too, I think for leaders too, is commitments are great, but also read the context and talk to your leadership team and say, what's going on? And uh, for us right now, we're dealing with some technology issues. I am not gonna come in right now critique a few teachers on the classroom library you know inclusion with kids now is not the time for that i'm not going to forget about it and i'll continue to talk about it at staff meetings but i think that's the other piece to it too is like you said it's humanizing leadership uh, and supervision and we're working with people not uh, things and we just have to always keep that in the forefront
0: Absolutely. And the way that you speak to and honor all humans within your site is remarkable to hear. I know that if I was an administrator, which I don't know if I ever have the capability to be, I would be scribbling down on my notepad, all of your amazing insights today and being able to try to put those into practice tomorrow on my walkthrough. I actually spoke to a principal today who's like, we're doing walkthroughs tomorrow. I'm like, I hope, I wish that person could listen to you tonight before they go through and do their walkthroughs tomorrow. It's just your energy is very honoring and you're very present and we are just thrilled to share you with our listeners Matt thank you so much and we are going to shift just slightly into our rapid fire questions Um, no one on this podcast has ever been able to do any of these in 30 seconds or less so with your best ability for timeliness sir tell us um, it's your time to shine where can we learn more from and with you as we want to dig in deeper Um, where can we follow you what are your handles and what else are you working on that's coming coming in the near future
2: okay Challenge accepted. Uh, first is Twitter. So it's at Read By Example, at Read By Example. And I'm pretty active on there. I'll post one or two times a, a day on uh, just things that's going on at school. Uh, my newsletter is number two. So it's readbyexample.substack.com. Readbyexample.substack.com. I post about once, maybe twice a week, more longer articles. And finally, uh, just open up a new community. It's free and it's just a place where i'm starting to curate a lot of, of things i've written or done or you know tools that leaders might find helpful and you can access you'll be able to access that eventually through the newsletter i've invited some more act engaged readers there and we're just starting out but um yeah those are the three place, places you can the two places you can find me
0: wow i think i think you are the only one who has made it through in 30 seconds you need like double gold star here <laughs> Now, tell us, what is your tagline or your bumper sticker for education?
2: I'm stealing this from Regie Routman and her book, Read, Write, Lead, which was heavily influential. She wrote the foreword for the book, but leaders need to know literacy.
0: Love it. Gigi is just part of all of our foundation in literacy and we just hold on to her forever. She's not something that ever goes with our pendulum shifts, right? We just, we hold on to her tightly. I love it. And Matt, finish us off strong with what is your secret coaching superpower or your go-to move as an administrator?
2: Pausing the pause. I've never gotten in trouble or made a mistake when I've not said something. It's always been when I've said something and I wish I could have taken it back.
0: Absolutely. That is powerful. And we so appreciate you being here with us today. And we are excited to connect with you in the future.
2: Well, thank you. It was fun.
1: Thank you so much. Matt really showed us how to marry the best of coaching practices with being a leader. What parts of this episode might you share with your school leaders you work with? Thanks for listening. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at C3 Coaches. C3 Connecting. Coaches Cognition. Who's thinking will you mediate today?